say off the bat, we did it. We made it to ten episodes. Oh, yeah, yes, and it only took a two-week break or so to get there. Yay, us! Pats on the back. Yeah, well, it was funny because I told you I had been going through a flu for about a week, and so I texted you on Tuesday night, you know, that, like, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't think we're going to get this one pulled through. And you had just gotten strep, you told me. I thought it was strep. It turns out it was some sort of weird other thing that's not strep. But it's bad. It was not fun. So, like, from opposite, very opposite sides of the state, we conspired to get sick at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, yeah, and and then, uh, you know, you were less than healthy yesterday when we normally record this. This is probably going up, like, a day late. Oh, okay, okay. So we're not going to be, like, a week, two weeks behind. All right, that's fine. No, 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 no. Good, 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 good. Yeah, no, yeah. Tuesday when we were supposed to record this, I was shitting and vomiting at the same time in a Walmart. Or, no, not a Walmart, a Target. I'm a classy. I'm classy. It was a Target bathroom. It was a Target bathroom that I vomited all over. Mm. Mm. It was good. It's good times. Target, we're richer and we're redder. Yes, yes. All right. Not sponsored by Target. All right, this is the Cock and Bull Podcast, where four times a month we give you a conversation starter for that really boring party that you're at. Uh, that is Nathan Faust, and I am the smaller, more agile Spencer Faust. Uh, a smaller, yes, more agile? I don't know. I don't know. Let's let's go. Are we, we going to do this here? Uh, are we going to do this I'm here? I'm just saying, we may have to do this here. Let's get into some, some forms of it. I don't know how you test agility. Can we roll for it? I... Mm, mm, got it on the brain. Got RPGs <laughs> on the brain. Always. All right. Um, so, yeah, like I said, this one's a bit late, but uh, buckle up. It's going to be a long one. We're going to try and make up for it. Oh, God. <clears throat> In 1934, oh, on November 26th, no. Eugene Ellsworth Landy was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. All right. So the 30s and in Pennsylvania. So he's going to be coming of age around some world wars. There's uh, There's nothing wrong here. We're ready to rock. True, 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 true. All right, he was the only child of Jules and Frida Landy, both of whom were professors of psychology at respective schools. Uh, little Gene, following in the footsteps of his academic parents, uh, made it to sixth grade before dropping out. <laughs> Didn't know where that was going. All right, good, good, good. Uh, this is reportedly because he was dyslexic, uh, but there is nothing to back that up. <laughs> okay, good, good. I don't know that would be the excuse, too. I'm dyslexic, no school. <laughs> Eugene was a dark-haired man uh, with with very bulging, sculpted features on his face. Uh, he liked to wear button-up shirts, completely undone. What? That is his. That's his typical attire. Just showing off the what? sea of chest hair what? underneath. So he was a he was a dark-haired, bulging-featured Fabio character on the front of a romance novel. Yeah, he never settled on how like clean-cut he wanted the head to be, though. So his most consistent look around the 60s or so, is this, like, smooth back style that kind of made him look like the Fonz mixed with Alan Alda, which is two points of reference for anybody over 70. I was about to say, uh, you are really digging deep on these references today. All right. Uh, aiming for a different audience. That's fine. Eugene, from a young age, really had his knack cut out for him. What? And that show That's business. not a sentence. Stop. That's not a sentence. I don't, know what, I don't know what that sentence is, but that's not a sentence. Oh, excuse me. Let me try that again. Please. Eugene, from a young age... Uh, really had his neck cut out for him. Nope, nope, uh, nope. You did it again. You said the same thing. That's not a sentence. That's not words. Oh, okay, okay. My bad. Let's try this again. <laughs> you need to read that sentence and make it a sentence. Eugene was good at show business. There we go. At 16, he was producing a syndicated radio program. Uh, he also met George Benson at the time, one of America's most brilliant guitarists, uh, who was just seven years old at the time, and Eugene quickly signed himself on as George's agent. 
Wait, wait. Now that sounds so the sixteen year old the sixteen year old signed himself on as the seven year old's <laughs> agent. What what the fuck kind yeah. of grade school yeah. bullshit is this? Now Georgie was like playing nightclubs at age nine though, so <laughs> this kid peaked quickly. Like it, I don't know, it's it's a bizarre situation, but it makes sense. They got a little like Goonies hierarchy going on. It's kids raising kids. It's, in the meanwhile, it's a Fagin situation all up in here, and I don't like it. Eugene was making some extra cash on the side in radio production, promoting records, uh, acting as a producer for even more musicians like Frankie Avalon. Uh, he had a kid around this time, what? Uh, at, son at, at named 16? Evan. Yeah, he's like he's like in his early twenties at this okay, rate. We're kind we, of well, using a, a little, <laughs> a little bit. Now, when Landy started slowing down in the production biz, uh, he decided to listen to his parents and study psychiatry. Okay, all right. So you you dropped out of school in sixth grade. You produced some records, and now you're gonna go work on the human brain. No big deal. Nothing wrong here. Yeah, 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 yeah. He picked up his degree at the Los Angeles City College, that a place where middle school funny. dropouts are welcome. Yeah, I was about to say nothing about Los Angeles City College sounds like where you want your psychiatry to be to be from. Maybe your like creative writing degree, but not your psychiatry degree. He got an associate's in chemistry, and then it was on to medical school. Now, he first went to the National University of Mexico, uh, but he contracted dysentery. Of course you did! And everything nearly fell apart, which I assume is referring both to his butt and his life. <laughs> and as someone that basically, oh yeah, uh-huh, yeah, I did some, I did some in-depth research, some, some, some <laughs> high, high Geraldo Rivera-style investigative journalism on dysentery the last couple <laughs> days, and yeah, oh, man, yeah. Oh, uh, Im- immersive training for this episode, Nathan Faust. And all of his weird stuff. Devoted to his career. He returned to the States, switched schools. And switched degrees from chemistry to psychology. Now, after getting his master's from University of Oklahoma in 1967, he completed training for his PhD in 1968. Now, all of this after dropping out of middle school when he was, like, 11. It's just incredible. Yeah, incredible is one way to put it. Worrisome is another way. Uh, so so let's, let's, let's look at it from both ways. Now, Eugene was an unusual doctor, especially if you asked him. Uh, quoting him, I think I have a nice reputation that says I'm unorthodox by orthodox standards, but basically unique by unorthodox standards. Okay, so he talks about himself the same way Donald Trump talks about himself. This is getting worrisome. Okay, so now I have a dark-haired, slicked-back man. Uh, you say he likes to wear his button shirts unbuttoned, so I'm imagining that he's just doctoring with a lab coat unbuttoned, like blowing in the breeze yes. and nothing else. Uh-huh, and he describes uh-huh. himself the same way Tommy Wiseau describes his movies. So all yeah, of this with, with sounds dementia. awful. <laughs> Now, the showbiz lifestyle never left this guy because he was so wrapped up in maintaining an image, you know, that even when he was a doctor, he actually had his own press kit. Don't think doctors are supposed to have those. Let me just, uh, let me just give you that, uh, that, and, uh, uh, no, no, that's my press kit. Yeah, yeah, you got your pamphlets, uh, brochures, there is my headshot, also my chest shot where I've opened a couple of these buttons. Oh, silly me. They're already all They're unbuttoned. all open. I can't open anymore. All They're the way all down. Open. Where are you going, Mr. New York Times? Come back. Why? Why? I don't need showman doctor. I don't want, like, when you walk into the operating theater, I don't need, like, flash pots going off and a pyrotechnic display. This None of this is, none of this is good. Let me get you in touch with my agent. Sir, normally they're called secretaries. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goddamn, yes. 
Okay. Eugene started working out uh, with the Peace Corps. That's working what? with the Peace Corps. I don't know. Oh, that was some strange. Okay, that got, was some fiction I made. I got real concerned that he was going to just like get buff for needy children or something. I was very concerned. No, this piece of shit looks like a slob for the rest of his life. Don't get any impressions. Okay, he started working with the Peace Corps, uh, but then he moved to L.A. where he started experimenting with a new treatment. I would like to think that after 10 episodes of this, I've developed, like, a verbal drum roll. Uh-huh. And it's any phrase with the buildup, started experimenting with a new blank. Yep, 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 yep. Eugene had worked with a group of teenage drug addicts in Echo Park. Yeah, he did. Uh, when, he, when he realized that the failure... When he realized that the failures in his treatment were because he couldn't control their nighttime activities. Now, he tried moving his sessions to the evening and opening up anytime phone lines, you know, where he could help them handle, you know, late night anxiety, panic attacks, that kind of thing. But the problem with that was then you couldn't control their daytime activities. So finally, Nathan, we reach Eugene's solution. Prison? What the fuck? How the hell are you supposed to control their activities all the time? Marathon therapy. Pardon? The marathon therapy is simply put... It's where your therapist spends 24 hours or more just living over your shoulder. That is not therapy. That is having a bodyguard. He's like your new roommate, your bud. You're you're just two buds hanging out all the time. That is a a life coach that is handcuffed to you. Quote, the success of 24-hour therapy rests on the extent to which the therapeutic team can exert control over every aspect of the patient's life. It totally disrupts the privacy of their patient's lives, gaining complete control over every aspect of their physical, personal, social, and sexual environments. (laughs) One of these things just doesn't belong here. (laughs) So wait a minute. Hold on. Part, wait a minute. Hold on. (laughs) So... Is he just, like, sitting in the corner like a weird cat while they're fucking? Hey! It's me, buddy! <laughs> you know, I'm, just, I'm over on the beanbag while you're trying to smash. Just, I just wondered, did you know you had a toilet paper? Uh, By the way, I'm just gonna watch. This is cool, right? God. How does this... Oh, sorry. My, my bad. One of my buttons was still done. Let me just pop that <laughs> what is off this? and... Ah, oh, there we go. Nice and free. Oh, what is this business model? You literally have to have a therapist per person. This is insane. <laughs> This is he really does limit himself. Literally. How? Like, you would have a whole hospital to serve, like, four people. Now, that quote wasn't even over, because here's the best part oh, of it, in what? my opinion. You haven't got <clears throat> to the best part? The goal is to teach them how to develop a strong sense of self-sufficiently. Self, excuse me. The goal is to teach them how to develop a strong sense of self-sufficiency and control over their lives. Because nothing helps develop a sense of control like taking away every aspect of control you know from somebody. what helps more self-sufficient and, and in control? Prison! Because that's what you're describing! I'm going to send them to prison to learn how to take care of themselves better. No, because then they get out of prison and they don't know how to take care of themselves. That's the problem. Now, while working with that group of teens, Eugene also put together a little manual full of hot teen lingo because people were having this issue where they didn't understand what teens were saying. No, so, no, no. so he made he made quote the underground dictionary still available for purchase oh, to this day. Dear. I did not, however, want to shell the ten dollars out to this guy. And you're Spencer, find that I told you to, if you need money, tell me. Damn it, this was necessary. Are you telling me he <laughs> created d- the Prelude to Urban Dictionary? Yeah, yeah. Quote, quote from the inner jacket. Here, for the first time, are the words 
symbols, signs, and phrases used by young people all over the country, recorded and compiled by a clinical psychologist and expressed in their own terms, is the language of the hippies, the bikers, connections, dopers, fags, hookers, musicians, teeny boppers, and yippies. No, 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 no. God damn it. Why? Yeah, Tell welcome me to Eugene. Tell me he has no shirt It's on. not. Damn it. It's not. And it's so upsetting. Ugh. Here are some of my favorite definitions I got from a few free trials of the booklet. God damn it. An ACDC. A bisexual person. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, no. They somehow added more syllables on to just calling someone bi. I was like, about to say, you, you're even bad at this. Oh, God, no. Hair burger. It's a, it's a tasteful, tasteful term for the lady parts. Oh, oh no. Oh, God damn it. It was the 70s, though. Fuck! A blue boy. A cop. <laughs> okay, let's have a fun game of you say one and then I have to try and guess. <laughs> okay, we'll do it on my favorite one, Nathan. Blunt. Uh, I, I, I feel, noun. Noun. Okay. Uh, 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 country of origin. Uh, America. Uh, can, Most likely California. Can you use it in a sentence? <clears throat> hey, I heard he's got a blunt on him. All right. I, I feel like it's a softball, but I got to take the obvious answer. I'm going with a marijuana <laughs> cigarette. Nathan, it would be a knife. God damn it. That's the opposite of what that is. That's not even good code. I know. I know. It's also, the worst if it's with the hippies, If you're with the hippies, you can't have a word that means both a marijuana and knife. Because that's going to lead to really bad exchanges. And the opposite of what a knife is. That's just it's not, not a blunt code. object. Oh. He would go on to publish updates to that book for British and Japanese slang what? in 1975. How are those even related? I don't know. Anyway, in the early 70s, uh, Eugene had started to mingle around with the Hollywood social circles. And pretty quickly, he was making friends with all sorts of celebrities, agents, you know, you name it. So so what you're saying uh, is he's hanging out at Studio 54, just, just handing out his book and trying to decipher <laughs> this hipster code that's going around? <laughs> he started working out with patients like Alice Cooper, uh, Richard Harris, Rod Steger, Gig Young... Um, all of which, by the way, were paying him $200 an hour for this therapy. Oh, dear Christ. For, again, now to be clear, the marathon therapy? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He was trying it out on all sorts of people. Now, of course, some people weren't open to that 24-hour style. So, you know, he was doing his traditional, you know, therapy for $200 an hour. But can you imagine the bills you're paying when he starts breaking out marathon? Like, is it discount for marathon rate? It has to be. There's got to be like a Costco, you're buying your therapy in bulk rate or something like that. (laughs) That's what it is, is you're buying in bulk. That is exactly what it is. On February 11th, 1972, the Foundation for the Rechanneling of Emotions and Education, otherwise known as FREE in acronym form, clinic opened up in Beverly Hills. Eugene was the man in charge. Wait a minute. So you called it the free clinic? So so what you're saying is a bunch of really rich people wanting therapy are showing up, and also a bunch of very poor people with STDs that want to get that looked at? Yeah, very uh, disappointed and misled poor people Very disappointed and misled poor people. Yeah, all right, all right. Now, Brian Wilson was born no! June 20th, 1942. Stop it! In Inglewood, no. California. Yeah! Oh, we all know! God damn it! Where... Uh, Damn it. 
All right, all right. Strap From a young age. There's a beach boy. From a young age, his father made sure that Brian would follow a musical career just as his father had. Brian's father got him involved in church choirs, school concerts. His first instrument was a toy accordion, and it felt like every other year his dad was giving him a new tool for the trade. So this, this guy is born and bred for musician. Yeah. In 1961, along with his brothers, a cousin, and a friend, Brian and the family put together the hit rock, pop, psychedelic surf band known as the Beach Boys. <laughs> All right. Now I feel like I, I feel like you you use the word psychedelic like like in a in a tongue in cheek way. I, I I mean really like if you listen to to later Beach Boys stuff because they really do get weird. That's with it. what I'm saying though. Like Pet Sounds is genuinely a genius album. Like it's it's okay. Yeah. So we're on the same page here. Yeah. No, no. Beach Boys actually like has a phenomenal like it, it's the weirdest shift in genre from front to back. Yeah, it's very oh. Beatles. I feel like it took the same time that the Beatles took. Like, everyone in this, into that era went from, like, kind of poppy rock to, fuck, acid is awesome, let's do that all day. <laughs> like, everyone took the they, same trajectory. They started out as a garage band managed by Brian's father, but uh, Brian's incredible talent drove that whole band in the, in the creative direction from the get-go. Success hit them pretty quickly. Uh, with hit record after hit record about all things that teens love to jam to. Cars, surfing, love, and everything else that's probably on the California state flag. That sounds. After a few years, the surfer craze bored them, and they moved on to a sound most aptly described by their smash single, Good Vibrations, which uh, only hurtled their success into a different label, some calling them the bastions of the counterculture era. The Beach Boys are the punks now. I was about to say, it. wow, man. If that's what punk rock was, I don't want to know what regular rock. Well, I guess it's all that bubblegum candy shop bullshit. Yeah, all right, all right. I, I can see how be, I can see how good vibrations would sound crazy to them. Now, Brian, hating the pressures of performing and touring, got burned out really, really quickly. It's a lot like Michael Jackson, I think, and the, the whole list of musicians really that just hate that part of the job, the whole public persona part. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. There's this clip of Michael Jackson back during the documentary he did before he died. What was it called? Like, This Is It or something? Uh, I don't that know. Sounds, that sounds about right. Um, and there's this part where the director asks him, you know, in an interview, what his least favorite part of it all is. Uh, and he says, touring. You know, like, you know, yeah, you're in different parts of the world every night. You know, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. And the director cuts him off and asks him, hey, Michael, can we do... Can we do that again, but just be a little less negative about touring? And it and it cuts to a deadpanned, lifeless Michael just saying, "I love to tour." Oh, it's just it's just so broken. But everybody on set, it cracks me up because everybody just knows what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, you wanted? Oh, I thought you wanted me to be honest for a second. No, this is just another part of the game. All right, fuck all, all right. y'all. Y'all wonder, right, why fuck you. I love Y'all wonder why I'm high as a fucking kite every day in my life. I would absolutely one day love to talk about Michael Jackson oh, later in life. Yeah, we need, because yeah, that, I need a couple more years removed from that situation to get some context there, though. That's, that's still pretty fucked up. Sp- but let's specifically, get back to, let's get back. Okay, oh, no, 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 you know I what? Was just gonna say, let's You're get right. Back we're to off the track. Because you know, you know, we 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 we're 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 working with Brian now. David, I know at this time was tampering with that funny little guy named Charlie Manson. So let's see how Brian mm. can step up to the table in terms of fucking craziness. So Brian can't stand the showbiz part, you know, the interviews, the touring, the crowds. So he starts taking a back seat to all that. 
you know, people start standing in for him during live shows, and he just tries to focus on the music. Eventually, though, it's clear that he's struggling with bigger issues than all of that, and he starts going untreated with some, like, clear forms of anxiety from all this pressure that has been put on him since he was a little kid. He starts to crack, so Brian turns to drugs. And, you know, I think we can all agree that's a great way to handle your mental illness for some people. Ah, uh, I mean, it's kind of know, the default, yeah. Like, like all the preteens out there who think that really low-quality Kush is going to help them escape the troubles of their cushy middle-class suburban life. Like, they turn out fine. Yeah! So Brian's, Brian's diet of cocaine and self-loathing led to, you guessed it, a lot of weight gain and depression. I uh, know. Uh, no, if there's one thing I know about <laughs> cocaine, it's that it's supposed to. I thought cocaine was pretty good about keeping the weight off, so that's, I'm surprised. His wife described him as reclusive, saying that he hardly even left the bed, and when things were at their worst, he was well over 300 pounds. Now I say that the man was the height of a hill giant, so that's not like dangerously obese. He still he still ballooned, is what every interview describes it as. Now. Nathan, you might be asking, why am I telling you about the Beach Boys? And why what? have I been doing it for so long? <laughs> I, yeah, I, and again, it's why I screamed when you said it, because I, I have the setup. I now have a Beach Boy. I'm very concerned. Well, following Pet Sounds, their 11th studio album in 1966. That was their 11th Brian, album? Yeah, they were, vi- they were rapid fire with those things. It is very rare that you come out with Genius on 11. Usually you've blown past that into weird drug territory by then. Now, Brian had started towards their next album, Smile. However, as Brian started to grapple more with substance abuse and emotional turmoil, he abandoned large portions of that project, and it soon became, you know, suspended in music purgatory. When the band substituted it with a new album named Smiley Smile, the original Smile became this, like, legendary unreleased album that would eventually come back out in, I think it was, like, 2010 that Brian finally remixed it. Um, spoiler alert for those of you that aren't aware, Brian Wilson is still alive, so... Wait, really? Throwing that out there. Yeah, he's still alive. I guess that shouldn't be shocking, because, like, Manson just died, but, like, yeah, alright. Yeah. Brian's mental health was only getting worse, and as such, his role in songwriting and production with the Beach Boys was getting more and more detached. Now, with music meaning so much to Brian, his family grew worried, and who would they reach out to? Well, none other than Eugene Ellsworth Landy. Yep. In 1975... Brian's wife, Marilyn, reached out to Eugene and hired him for a round of treatment. Now, Brian hated it. Publicly, he said that the only reason he would take the treatment was so he wouldn't be thrown into an actual psych ward. Which, again, is basically what this is. This is just like a a portable (laughs) psych ward for the rich and famous. Like, hey, do you not want to get thrown in actual crazy town? Have the doctor just follow you around all day. Now, there's a little bit... Of, of mixed reporting on what happened with that first round of treatment. The band and Stan Love, you know, the band's manager and, and I believe his cousin, argued that Eugene was sitting in on all of the band meetings, acting not as Brian's therapist, but as the band's new producer. Oh, God, no. Oh, fuck, I he forgot would... <laughs> about this. Oh, dear Christ. Oh, no, it's a guy who wants to be a music producer who just got his in with the Beach Boys. Oh, fuck. He would reportedly drag conversations out endlessly and debates over which songs could stay on the record would last for up to eight hours hey hey guys hey you guys i i i know i know i'm the, the therapist i know i know but I, did i tell you about the time i was managing george benson yeah, it was back when he it was, was seven. so good it was back when he was i got seven. a lot of 
I got a lot of great ideas, and they're all hidden behind this shirt. Let me just pop, pop all the buttons. I'm taking all the buttons off of the shirt, so I'm not tempted to button them ever. All right, no, you know, and like later on, like just it's seven hours into the argument. Fine, fine. You want to keep the song on? Fine, but I'm putting another button back on. You say goodbye to the hairs. Papa's sending them home. You greedy fuckers! I'm putting them away. Also, what is what is the guy that Dennis keeps bringing with him? Because I thought I was crazy, but this guy's kind of a little on the on the crazier side. I'm getting a little worried. The band was in the middle of recording the album Fifteen Big Ones at the time, so maybe this has an ounce of truth to it. Eugene has also apparently asked them for a percentage of the band's income, which you know that would of course be an overstep on his part. After all, he's a therapist, not the band's producer. But something that's not really up for debate is what Eugene did for Brian's stage fright. Now, you know, we mentioned Brian does not like being in front of big crowds. He doesn't like performing. And so Eugene's solution for that was to force him to go on Saturday Night Live mm. solo. Mm. So immersion therapy. The Maury, yeah. the Maury approach. Yeah. Brian played a piano rendition of Good Vibrations alone and just off stage. Eugene was holding up a big sign with the word smile on it. <laughs> Which I'm sure he thought was encouraging, but sounds kind of like a crazy pageant mom just off to the side. <laughs> While the kid, Brian Wilson's just visibly crying on stage, but smiling like the Tuck the gut, Joker. Brian. Oh, Tuck the gut God. and show the pearly whites. Oh, God. Things started getting particularly bad through 1976, with Eugene's obsessive manipulation going so far as promising Brian a cheeseburger in exchange for every interview he gave. No longer would he be paid. He just got a cheeseburger as a reward. He invented the original cookie point system. Oh, good! Brian would usually interrupt these interviews to ask the host for drugs. (laughs) No, Brian. No, this is daylight. I cannot know. But you can have a burger if you're a good boy, you stupid zoo animal. Oh my God. Uh, just Walter Cronkite, just in the middle. Hey, 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 you home? You want to high? How the fuck does that happen? Stan, Brian's cousin and manager, fired Eugene on Brian's behalf in December 1976. Some good news. This was apparently after Eugene doubled his fees. But Eugene says it's because they hated his artistic input. I just, I can't. Mm -mm. Eugene argued that the album 15 Big Ones was the band's only recent success and that, quote, Brian and I did that together, you know. I had to leave the situation after that uh, because they wanted to make another album and I wanted to make Brian a whole human being. Which, how do you, how do you say that? In the same sentence that you just said, Brian and I made their only uh, successful record. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, Pet Sounds. Nah, nothing. That's <laughs> nothing. But fifteen big ones. That's that's their work of art. Brian said that he thought Eugene had been given too much control over his life. He said that in 1977, after Eugene was gone, um, quote, he had control of my life legally through the commitment of my wife. He definitely helped me, but. It cost me over $100,000. He charged a hell of a lot per month. Oh, my God. Like, it would have been cheaper to just get yourself in a psych ward. 
It was around this time that Brian had seen a new replacement therapist, uh, Steve Schwartz. Now that sounds like a normal goddamn therapist. Steve fell off a mountain in 1978 and died. Okay, is there any proof that Eugene was not standing over him and pushed him off that mountain? (laughs) Because god damn it, I am imagining just swooping in and shoving him off the mountain. These are the last hairs you're ever going to (laughs) see. Cape billowing in the wind. It's just a cape now. He's not even wearing a shirt. (laughs) He's got the sleeves off. He's just got the top one button. Just the whole The rest of it's blowing in the breeze. God. Oh, God. Brian stumbled back into depression and substance abuse over the next five years, but in 1982, an overdose of coke and alcohol made it clear that Brian needed help again. So, out from the shadows comes Eugene Landy unbuttoning his shirt. (laughs) God damn it. The shadows are where you belong, Eugene. Get back there. This time, he would be around for another ten years. Oh my Christ, no. Eugene's marathon therapy pushed new boundaries as Eugene began to completely dominate Brian's life. It started with managing his drug control and prescribing him with a doctor that Eugene had personal connections with. And he even had Brian's personal assistant giving him medication at his orders, eventually roping him into his own payroll. But pretty soon, Brian's own personal assistants were replaced with an active staff completely under Eugene's control, all of whom kept him under constant lock and key. Anytime Brian met with his family or the band, one of those assistants was videotaping the interaction, assuming it was on an occasion that Eugene wasn't already there holding Brian's hand. Wait, literally holding his hand? Because this is going to get real weird. I... Okay. I said that. There are... Look up interviews with him. There are scenes... I think if you just look up Eugene Landy and Brian Wilson, you will get a YouTube clip that's like 40 seconds of them having an interview together, and Eugene's like practically cuddling Brian on the couch. He's like just a foot above him on the couch. He's got his arm wrapped around him. He's like almost petting his hair. He's got him like a dog, and it's disgusting. Now, like how how far that goes. Now let's let's now I need to, I need to jump in here. So I, I I needed a little bit of googling, but my mind my mind kind of had a, a thought here. You said he that that Eugene came back in the picture in 1982, correct? Yeah, and that he was around for about a decade. Yep, which would mean he was there in 1988. Yes. Which means that this motherfucker is directly responsible for fucking Kokomo, that atrocity of a Beach Boy song that has ruined their legacy. Oh, Nathan, you have no idea how far this rabbit hole goes. Oh! I don't want now, to go even though the band down to Kokomo. Was what, even though Kokomo's, oh, it's just the beginning. Now, even though the band was what brought Eugene back the second time, Eugene started cutting off contact between Brian and the Beach Boys, and pretty soon... Eugene was convincing Brian that the reason he wasn't allowed to go record with the band was because they had told Eugene that they didn't want Brian involved anymore. Yeah, 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 about right. Now, meanwhile, they hired this guy because Brian, their moneymaker and sole creative genius, was unstable and as a result getting worse at his job. So Eugene just comes in and stops him from working altogether. It's the most counterintuitive circumstance so instead he starts pushing brian towards a solo career with eugene as his right hand man now there's a lot of back and forth interviews you know uh with with the beach boys and eugene and they tell different stories 
The boys argue that Eugene was screening their calls for five years, and Eugene would argue that he only screened them for a year and a half, and, and for very good reason, because, you know, with drug addicts, you got to completely change their environment. Really, there are not good guys in this situation, in this story, because I believe that Eugene is a serial liar. There's a lot to back that up, but I also believe the Beach Boys really only wanted Brian for his money. Everybody in his family was just abusing his talent, really. Yeah. And that goes that goes back to his dad when he was like six years old, and he was like, "All right, I'm getting this kid a record deal." <laughs> it's a Joe I mean, Jackson situation. I mean, I mean, in his defense, George Benson was already working with Eugene at age seven, so I mean, getting him, <laughs> getting him ready at six—that's not that hard. I mean, you got to get him prepped. Now, speaking also, of money, also, you will be comforted to know that the only original Beach Boy not to sing on the recording of Kokomo, Brian Wilson, who was given short notice and unable to attend the recording session. So Brian was safe from that goddamn atrocity. Oh, good. All right, yeah, a, small, good. a small glimmer of well, light. Now, he speaking was there. Money. He was there for the video recording for the Full House episode that they did about Kokomo, where Cousin Jesse or Uncle Jesse was back there playing the drums. So he was involved, but tangentially. I'm surprised there was room for the Beach Boys in that house. It was mm, so full already. Mm, no, I think, the, I think they got out of the house and, and went to Kokomo for that one. I don't remember the circumstances. I didn't watch Full House. Uh, I just know it was on that whole TJF block, but uh, nah, nah, I don't, I don't, I don't. I am reading the Wikipedia page that says there was a Full House episode with Kokomo, so I'm just, I'm just rolling with it. <laughs> Eugene started to deep dive into the, the Wilson family IP with his bills. Each year... His fees were just under $450,000 for Brian. Jesus. And that is for insane things, like $500,000 for vitamins, $500,000 for out-of-pocket expenses, for a vacation to Hawaii that he and Eugene just took together. Like, a little vacation to Hawaii with your therapist, who also lives with you. That's not... Because this is the Twilight Zone. This isn't a therapist anymore. This is your... This is like a polygamous relationship. This is just... This is a fucking Yumi and Dupree, and it's gotten really bad. And Dupree's charging so $100,000. To accommodate for that bill, there were a few contract negotiations, and suddenly, Eugene has 25% of the copyright to everything Wilson wrote. 25%? That is on shit he didn't even contribute to. On 15 big ones. So, like, now that that was, like, a string that Brian's then-manager was, like, dangling in Eugene's face. Kind of like, hey, if you can get this guy to make some music uh-huh. again, you'll start pulling in even more money. Uh-huh. So, for now, we're going to trickle in what little royalties he's making now. But once Brian starts writing again, cut to a year later, and that agreement is immediately thrown out. Good, as well as... Because should. Eugene is making so much money. Now, it's rewritten so that Eugene gets an equal cut... Based on how much he contributes to Brian's writing, how the fuck? What kind of what kind of math equation can you use to calculate that? Well, I gave him forty five <laughs> pills today, so I'm forty five percent responsible for what he wrote. So he's setting himself up as a musical collaborator again, almost more so than a therapist. It's an outlet for him to finally make it big in showbiz, and he's just leeching off Brian. Now, so once again, if we need to point it out. Eugene was up hooked up with Brian Wilson as their musical collaboration. Um, Dennis was hooked up with Charles Manson as his musical collaborator. <laughs> so Brian is still proving himself to be the better of the Beach Boys. The better, but it's, I mean, this is a, 
This is not a he's not a winner by no, any stretch no, right no now. No one's a winner. It was the late seventies, early eighties. No one won. <laughs> he was under such tight supervision that he was practically brainwashed at this point in his life. You spend a year and a half under someone's constant eye telling you literally what you can eat, when you can eat it, who you can see, where you're going, what you're doing. You look at clips of this guy just two years in and he's like a neutered puppy, and then five years in, he's like a sedated prisoner. It's deeply upsetting. I quote from Eugene, I influence all of Brian's thinking. I'm practically a member of the band. That's not good. We're partners in life. End oh. quote. He's the fucking Yoko Ono of the Beach Boys. And it sounds like you'd have to go to incredible lengths to take that quote out of context. But that is just one of a dozen like creepy catchphrases he had for their dynamic. Like he'd say, he'd say that kind of weird controlling shit all the time. So Brian is so complacent in all of it. And the longer it goes on, the weirder it gets. So when Brian was asked in an interview, like nine years into the treatment, whether or not he thought he was in some kind of prison, this is like gray haired Brian at this point. Um, he replies, you know, life is like a type of prison. <laughs> well, yeah, it is, because you signed up for prison. That's what I said at the beginning of this. You signed up for prison and you're paying for it. Quote, not just the doctor nanny program, but, y- you know, people need a little prison in order to know that, like, you know, this is where we all are. No. End quote. An answer which makes no sense. No, and he does. realizes it. It does. Halfway it through, does when you're he, living that life. <laughs> yeah, li- we all need a little... A little prison, right? Right, right, guys? Oh my god, no! <laughs> he's, like, looking around the room as he says that, and you can see he's just like, someone save me from this sentence he's I'm saying. in more Someone code. get me out Help of this. Help me! I don't, I don't know where I'm going. Oh, Brian started losing his lawyers, too. John Mason, one such lawyer for uh, five years, could not reach Brian by telephone. Uh, then... In actual physical meetings with Mason, wherein Brian was supervised by Eugene, Brian would be called out of the room when he said something Eugene didn't like. And after a handful of pills, Brian and Eugene would come back to the conversation. And he was like a coma. Mason couldn't get a word out of him. His eyes just rolled back. And Eugene just like cracking his knuckles like, all right, now, uh, where were we? God damn it. The the deals at this point are raking in cat Eugene had won by this point. Anytime they did deals, Eugene had to make sure he got an equal cut of it. They did some promotion where the the you know payment was a Cadillac. Eugene had to get his own Cadillac. When Brian got when Brian got this this fantastic piano, Eugene had to get a baby grand piano too, you know? You know, because they're like they're like equals, you know? Uh this sleazy unbuttoned man and Brian fucking Wilson of the Beach Boys. So let's flash forward a bit. In 1986, Brian met a Cadillac sales rep named Melinda Ledbetter. By this point, he was divorced from his previous wife. The two somehow managed to date, despite Eugene's constant efforts to thwart the relationship. You know, he would constantly pull her aside and be like, now I gotta warn you, this guy's very, very sick. Now I say this because I am about to give him 50 antipsychotic pills. Oh my god, that's so many pills. I'm, I'm about to turn this man into a mannequin. 
How she somehow managed to drive such a hard wedge into the, the Eugene Landy fortress is well beyond me. I mean, I guess true love conquers all or something, but after three years, enough was enough for Jean. He demanded that Brian leave her as she was only creating, quote, a bad environment for him. My God. Oh, my God. So Melinda responded by getting the California Board of Medical Quality to investigate Jean. Uh, And Nathan, much to the surprise of nobody, they found that Eugene Ellsworth Landy was kind of a really bad guy. You don't say! He had one incident where he was uh, supposedly caught freebasing cocaine, which was settled out of court. Um, On top of that, he had multiple complaints of unethical personal relationships with patients, improper prescription of drugs, a specific case of unethical psychological dependency with Brian Wilson, several reports from his family that they only conveniently noticed after this woman brings the case forward, and, and a sexual assault case with a former female patient also settled out of court. Oh, Eugene. Okay. <laughs> Eugene denied all but one charge in a plea bargain Which when one? he admitted to <laughs> when he admitted to falsely prescribing Brian medication without legal authority. Turns out his guy that he had prescribing things uh, maybe he wasn't uh, licensed one hundred percent of the time. Yeah, that sounds all right. So with all these charges from the board, Landy had no choice but to relinquish his license. Uh, Eugene convinced Brian to co-create the company Brains and Genius. So first of all, okay. take, an, take another stab at naming things. Yeah, please. Now Eugene's argument there is Brains is, you know, you flip a couple letters and Brian becomes Brains. And then Genius, you know, you flip a couple letters, Eugene becomes Genius. Sure, yeah, whatever. If It shouldn't require a paragraph. No, 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 you're, you're, you shouldn't need, like, a a whole book to explain your acronym. Now, Brains and Genius was a creative business venture, which was another way to say that Eugene, once again, just wanted to make it big in showbiz, and now he couldn't do it under the pretense of being a doctor. Uh, Brian even released a memoir titled, Wouldn't It Be Nice? My Own Story, which Brian later disowned after accusations later in life uh, swelled up that Eugene might have ghostwritten it for him. Oh, good! So Eugene's partnership with Brian floundered after the bad press started catching up with him in the late 80s. Uh, In 1992, on February 3rd, Landy was finally the target of a court order banning him from seeing Brian, which he broke only once to visit Brian on his birthday, because they were such good buds. God, it's so creepy! With his license and practice barred in California, Eugene moved on to two more practices in Nevada and Hawaii in the 90s. On March 22nd, 2006, Eugene Landy died of pneumonia, brought on by the lung cancer he had been suffering through. He was 71 and living in Hawaii. It is speculated nowadays that Brian Wilson continues to suffer from tardive dyskinesia, a neurological disorder caused by prolonged use of of antipsychotic medication, which Eugene assuredly had been constantly administering to him over those ten years. The disorder might explain the involuntary twitches that Brian displays even to this day. Uh, A quote from a 2015 interview with Brian. I thought he was my friend, but he was a very fucked up man. Yeah! Yeah! Well, I think that is kind of a, uh, uh, I think that's kind of a big shebang 
as far as our uh, trend of, of mad scientists go, because this guy is, in my honest opinion, one of the scummiest doctors I've ever yeah, read about. Also, he kind of looks like a fat George Lucas when he was recording uh, uh, A New Hope. Like, all those pictures you see of him out in the Tunisian desert with the beard and the hair, it's like that put on a fat man's body. If you Google this motherfucker, all the pictures are just him hugging Brian Wilson. Yeah. All of them! <sighs> God damn it. This one was incredibly frustrating for me to research. I've, I've been telling you about this one for like a month while I was working yeah. on it. It's just, it's deeply upsetting. I want to thank uh, my buddy Jack, actually, for recommending this one. Uh, it all it all started with the cheeseburger boy <laughs> part. And, uh, <laughs> and it just, it was just a spiral of nasty information from there. I want to thank... Driftless Pony Club for allowing us to use their song, There Were Buffalo on the Ark. Absolutely. Driftless Pony Club, if anyone Cholera. tries to get you to let a therapist follow you around 24-7, you say no! <laughs> you say no! Bad touch! Bad touch! What else? What else? What else? What else? I feel like there's somebody I'm forgetting to thank. Uh, no, no. Who is there's it? no reviews that we need to read yet, so we don't have to thank anyone for that. God damn it. Get your, get your shit together, people. You're better than this. I want to thank, thank my girlfriend, Brittany. Uh, I want to thank God. I want to thank my mom, my I, dad. I'm very... I. I, I don't know. I I want to thank <laughs> Dysentery for, you know, giving me the context to appreciate this hate fest that you've just spewed at me. Uh, yeah. I want to thank the Beach Boys for my soundtrack to researching this this several 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 pages of information. Yeah, yeah. And uh. and, and if and if we just wanted to, you know, casually casually go out to the the dulcet tones of Kokomo, I'm just saying this is not a bad thing. Oh, Nathan, I can't keep changing the outro. No, please, God, yes. Come on, it's fun. It's a game now. <coughs> All right. Uh, I guess we'll see you guys next week. We're going we're gonna to make up for the delay. We might do yes. uh, maybe a, a double feature in one week oh, or something like that. So, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. All right. Next week. Good old-